Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson, Futurum Group's Chief Market Strategist and your host of the Drill Down with episode number 232. Well, just ahead, Beauty Health, makers of the wet vac for your skin, falls to pieces. And Amdocs brings generative AI to your phone company, quietly partners with NVIDIA. And a fascinating conversation with AvPoint CEO TJ Jong, company getting a boost cleaning up data for use in large language models. A really interesting conversation. We'll talk about all that, but first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And get 20% off if you use our link, Braintrust.com slash drill down. All right, I'm Corey Johnson, Futurum's Chief Market Strategist, bringing you Futurum's The Drill Down, where we explain the business stories behind stocks on the move. Join me on the mic today, Ben Wilson, who's been with The Drill Down from the very start. Ben, how are you? From the start to here. It's good to be here. It's good to hear your title, Chief Market Strategist. I love it. That's awesome. I'm, I'm a big shot. I don't know if you, you've heard, but I'm, I'm very important. And apparently you're an even bigger shot now. Congratulations. Jeez. Oh, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Beauty Health. Beauty Health. Beautiful. It trades with the ticker SKIN, S-K-I-N, with a market cap of about $247 million. But two years ago, this was a $4 billion company. In the last week, shares have fallen, wow, 54% and are down 82% in the last year. So what happened to Beauty Health? Well, um, I was not short this, this stock, sadly. I should have been. But um, if you were, way, you wouldn't have been able to talk about it. So I guess we true, get some I don't, benefit I don't out talk of it. about stocks in which I have an investment long or short. So so there we have it. But uh, Ben, you have a beautiful skin, by the way. It's one of my favorite things about you. Thank you. You've never said that to me before, and I'm perfectly fine if you never do again, but I'm glad you like it. <laughs> well, Beauty Health uh, sells a thing they call uh, hydrofacial skin products. It's the latest uh, aesthetic technology like i don't know lasers and uv lights it's in the same category as like the cold spa treatments and all these things they have promised that their hydrofacial system will disrupt the beauty and health industry with uh, revolutionary technology promising revitalized skin and complexion and uh you know even better ben it will go further will help customers uh reinvent their relationship with their skin and their bodies and self-confidence i didn't know it needed reinventing who knew? But uh, uh, this costs about twice the uh, uh, normal cost of a cost of a normal facial. A friend of mine who was short the stock uh, described their devices like a pen-shaped wet vac, which I love. Now, there were concerns about the accounting uh, for this company. Um, and as they um, progressed to a newer version of their pen-shaped wet vac, their hydrofacial whatever, uh, called Sindeo, um, and so while there were all these concerns about the accounting and whatever, whatever, and the stock was falling apart, then the company came out this week and announced that they were having problems with the Sindeo 1.0 and the Sindeo 2.0. And they surprised everyone by announcing that they're going to let their customers uh, exchange their old machines for new machines. And Beauty Health itself was junking all of their old machines as a, quote, obsolete inventory 
and a write down of $19 million. They got, or the CEO left the company. They slashed their full year sales outlook, suspended their long-term financial outlook, and their conference call uh, was kind of a mess. They refused to take any questions. The new CEO got on briefly. The CFO got on very briefly, and it sounded like executive seppuku. But here is the Beauty Health CFO, Mike Monahan. Today, we released a significant amount of information, so I'd like to state a few things up front. First, our recent financial performance is not acceptable. The board and management are committed to delivering future value for our shareholders and have taken steps to position the company for long-term future success. Second, we did not take the decision to impair our earlier generation delivery systems lightly. Our long-standing provider relationships play a critical role in our continued success. Nearly half of the devices we sold in the past 9 to 11 years are still active. Providing reliable products and services is always our primary goal, and the decisions we made this quarter protect our customers and the hydrofacial brand. Third, our recent performance is largely a result of provider experience issues with Sendeo in the U.S. We have taken the learnings to avoid any similar issues in the future. We want to be very clear that the impact applies only to providers who use Sendeo 1.0 or 2.0 delivery systems. There was no impact on the safety or efficacy of the hydrofacial treatment. So don't worry, there's no impact on the safety or efficacy. If you got a facial, you got a facial. But investors who are along the stock also got a, some kind of uh, 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 expunging of their pores and their pockets uh, with the stock <laughs> absolutely collapsing. It's like they're reinventing their relationship with their pocketbook too. Well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to not... Uh, make jokes about popping zits, but that's kind of what this stock chart looks like. Disgusting. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Paycor HCM. Paycor HCM trades with the ticker PYCR with a market cap of about $3.6 billion. Shares were up 14% in the last week. Nonetheless, for the last 12 months, shares are down 28%. So what's the story with Paycourse HCM? So this is a SaaS uh, company, software as a service provider of payroll services. Uh, it's been around for a little while. It's uh, started was started a long time ago by a former ADP sales rep who wanted to provide a hands-on customer service for small businesses in the Midwest. And as it grew, it became a, a bigger hands-on business, but then they wanted to turn it into a software as a service model. So private equity came in in 2018, took over from the founder uh, who was out uh, they did an IPO. By the time they did the IPO in 2021, the founder wasn't even listed as a shareholder. Um, and Paycor slapped their name. People who have heard of Paycor probably nationally have heard about it because they slapped their name on the the home of the Cincinnati Bengals, which became Paycor Stadium just in time for the Bengals to win the AFC East and go on to lose in the Super Bowl uh, to the Rams, Super Bowl 56, for those of you keeping score. But uh, uh the part of the, the big thesis here is that they were going to go from their sweet spot, right? Small businesses, largely in the Midwest, and pivot towards larger accounts and bigger markets um, uh, and face a much more competitive landscape. And so when I look at this company, I, I, I think the thing to measure, you know, you've seen the sales growth slow down dramatically. Uh, gross margins have not gotten better, which you would think would happen as they're with bigger customers. And um, it seems like it's under pressure. So what I'm looking for for this company, I'm not seeing it yet, but I'm looking for them to kind of bump into a competitive landscape that they're unfamiliar with as they try to go after these bigger accounts. And I thought I heard hints of that 
in their most recent conference call. Here's Paycor's uh, HCM CFO. And yes, I didn't make up his name. It's Adam Ant. He, you know, like the guitar player from Bow Wow Wow in the 80s? Adam Ant? I don't know. Anyway, here's Adam Ante, the CFO of Paycor. We think that there's a huge opportunity. I mean, there's thousands of software players who uh, could leverage a service like ours, HCM and payroll capabilities. Many of them are trying to offer their own services today and find that uh, when, you know, when they work through our offering, that it just makes more sense um, to partner with us. And, and we think that it's a, it's a great go-to-market from that perspective to be able to create, for them to be able to create a more compelling and differentiated service really helps uh, us to be able to expand more quickly you know, uh, across services, across markets where um, we usually have coverage, but we'll be able to provide a deeper coverage across more of the market uh, at a faster pace. And in terms of the go-to-market strategy for us, I mean, it's really around finding those winning partnerships and, and making the right bets on great partners early. Um, and we've, we've had a, a really strong pipeline, a lot of really great interest um, and some key partners that, that are winning already today. So maybe that's that competitive spirit where they see lots of competition they see that as an opportunity. Uh, to me, uh, if they're going into a field where there's lots of competition, it seems like it's a tougher place to break into. Uh, we've certainly seen the sales growth while it continues at a lot slower pace. And we'll keep an eye on Paycor HCM. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Amdocs. Amdocs. Amdocs trades with the ticker DOCS, D-O-X, with a market cap of about $9.6 Shares are up 2% this week and down 2%, kind of sleepy for a tech stock. What's the story with Amdocs? So it's an interesting company. It's a software provider for telcos. Uh, a lot of the, if you were to move from city to city and have a different telecommunications company, or if you were to go from AT&T to T-Mobile, you might actually find that you're working with a lot of the same software, a lot of the same customer service software included, um, because Amdocs is really specializes in, in helping these companies manage internally and their external um, contacts with their consumers across all of the uh, CSPs or communication service providers, uh, for whatever reason, they don't call them telcos. But uh, uh, they've, and, and I guess because that also includes um, the wireless companies and sometimes the media companies like the Xfinities of the world, who've got kind of a telecommunications overlay and some of the things that they do. Um, well, quietly, Amdocs, a St. Louis-based company, um, uh, announced that they are um, partnering with NVIDIA in, a, in kind of a really big deal um, where they're working with NVIDIA to optimize large language models um, to help do generative AI for all these uh, communication service providers uh, in an industry that's a giant one, you know, on almost $2 trillion telecommunications and media business. And one of my new colleagues at Futurum, uh, Ron Westfall, wrote an interesting research note about this where he says that the combination of Amdocs AI framework and NVIDIA's AI infrastructure um, is really going to put Amdocs at the center of, 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 of a, a, a good place where they're going to gain mindshare across uh, the entire generative AI telco market segment that's just beginning to emerge. The idea that these guys are going to be the leader might actually boost their sales going forward. And indeed, when you listen in the last conference call to their CEO, where in spite of the fact that he's in, um, St. Louis, he has a wonderful Israeli accent uh, and a great name, Shucky Sheffer. Shucky Sheffer, the Amdocs CEO. Harry is talking about the generative AI possibilities with Amdocs. So, so the, the, uh, uh, 
In most of our customers, and it's talking about our big, our big customers, and this is uh, like T-Mobile, AT&T, Vodafone, and many others across the world, uh, we, we are in the, in the last several years, started a very significant modernization program. You need to think that our customer was spending both in building the new platforms. This is the new, most all of them are cloud platforms with the, all the new capabilities of the Endbox new platform, including some generative AI capabilities, while we continue to run from them in managed services, and both at the same time, we are uh, doing development on the legacy platform that we are running for them. By the way, this is the, in most of them, this is the system that are the core system today, because the modernization program are, not, uh, are just starting, and we are in the process of building the new platform. So at the same time, we spend money with us both on the legacy platform enhancements and building the next generation platform, which is the, the future of all the uh, uh, operational platforms. So Ben, you know, everywhere you look, um, a generative AI has suddenly, you know, this, this ancient business of machine learning and artificial intelligence is just really hot with lots of companies trying to find ways to put generative AI in the hands of users everywhere. Well, maybe it's been long enough. The tech industry was due for a major reinvention. Happens every once in a while, and things have stayed yeah, the same I mean, for a minute. I, you know, I've been covering tech for a very, very long time, and um, this absolutely feels like Web 1.0 felt. I mean, it's just, it's it's very exciting stuff. And um, and you're seeing all kinds of companies, old Amdocs, the 1980s com a company, I think 88 it was formed. Um, you can see them jumping right into this. Is that the phrase, you can't teach old companies new tricks? Something like that? That is not the phrase. It's a phrase about dogs. Oh, I must have had that wrong. Well, but every tech company can bring your dog to work now, so it's all the same thing. All right, well, coming up next, speaking of generative AI, speaking of AI models and large language models, really interesting company called Avpoint. It's a, it's a data company, but they're seeing a big boost in their business because lots of companies are trying to get their data ready to, for use in these large language models and artificial intelligence, their CEO, TJ Jong, joins us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down podcast. We are joined right now by TJ Jung. He's the CEO and co-founder of a company called Avpoint. Very interesting company, which is, boy, so timely. Uh, your technology, you, you don't think of sometimes of technology as being timely, but yours is right in the right spot, I think. Um, and I was as I was preparing for this and reading your 10K and reading your 10Q and listening to this conference call and some materials your team provided me, I thought, I wonder how, well, when I used to interview Microsoft people, I would say, how can we not make this conversation awful? You guys work with Microsoft closely. Um, but their PR teams used to over-prepare the Microsoft execs all the time. And I hated doing those interviews. I wonder, could we talk about your, what your company does without using the word data? Probably not. <laughs> That's right. But it would be interesting. So let's, let's, let, let's sail forth. How do you describe what your company does? Well, thank you, first of all, Corey, for having us on the show. Um, yeah. Data doesn't have to be boring. My background is actually machine learning and data mining. <laughs> this is my passion about data. After after all these years, now here now now it's your moment. Exactly, and, and here we are, 22 years later, after uh, you know starting Outpoint. Well, what do we do? Uh, we are the uh, today the largest SaaS data management uh, provider 
uh, in the Microsoft Cloud ecosystem. We help uh, enterprises, large and small, to essentially ensure that their data is secure in the cloud. And of course, aggregate, uh, be able to uh, get folks onto cloud faster, uh, aggregate data from all disparate sources. And then once in cloud, make sure that there's proper lifecycle management, uh, people who have access to the right things from the right place, and also internal external um, provisioning to make sure that the right people have access to the right data. And lastly, uh, how to uh, retire that uh, data so that there's proper lifecycle management. So why does these things matter today? Well, with Gen AI, everyone's racing towards building their own proprietary uh, model on top of the foundation models so that they can make business impact. But in doing so, your data, it's uh, critical that you have a proper, trustworthy, and reliable data estate. Otherwise, you have a trash in, trash in platform. Yeah. You, you spoke at a Goldman conference and you used a metaphor, something about the, sort of the immaturity. It wasn't just garbage in, garbage out. It was sort of the, the oh, it, you compared um, uh, a, a Gen AI, AI, a generative AI model, <laughs> I said in English, a generative AI model, you compared it to a summer intern. That's right. It's a really good summer intern. Right. So the foundation model trained based on data from the entirety of Internet, <laughs> it's a good summer right. intern. Right. So what do you do with summer interns when they first come into the company? Well, you have to train them on the company stuff, what history and what is industry, how you deal with customers, et cetera. So that's what companies are doing today. And it's and the way that you prep the data for a large language model is super interesting to me. Uh, but again, here I'm using the word data. Um, <laughs> When I think about the data that we're really talking about, it's not something, some code, someone jumped into something somewhere or some, I don't know, records of, of cash register receipts. It's Microsoft Word documents. It's PowerPoint slides. It's photographs. It's your it's, emails. You it's your me. chats. Yeah, it's what we call unstructured data, right? So business data. It's all things that business use to communicate. It's projects. It's uh it's files, it's PDFs, it's, uh, it's Adobe documents, right? Um, and also Teams chats. And um, so it's everything that folks use. Teams, you really are a Microsoft person. <laughs> or Slack chat. I'm so sick of all the, I'm sick of the like WebEx, Teams, Google Meets, Zoom. Everybody's got a different animal. Uh, but, but you're right. Companies do generate a lot of information and it usually is sitting on a hard drive or a server or the hard drive of the user and it doesn't, end up as part of the company's treasure trove of what the company is. That's right. Yeah. So there's um, obviously, you know, most of what we call 90% uh, of the enterprise data is actually dark data, right? You don't know what you have. Right. Um, they're most of the time not very useful. Um, but now with uh, the power of, you know, uh, transformers and generated uh, AI models, you can actually make them useful, right? You can use them to train. Um, and have your proprietary data model. So they can actually be better and smarter than a summer intern when engaging internal and external <laughs> audiences. As, as I try to help my son find a summer internship, um, <laughs> I'm thinking well, he's a pretty good summer intern. He'll be a great summer intern for somebody. Um, so it's interesting to me also that like what happens, you know, for users of, of uh, the most prominent use case of AI for most people has been chat GPT 3.5. And uh, quite often the, the returns, the answers come back saying, oh, this is a model from 2021 or earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it suggests a, um, a, a, a static model that, that there's a giant large language model with lots of information in it. And it's all stored in a single moment up to that moment. And anything new, it doesn't change. 
Um, is that the kind of thing that you your company will do? You'll come into an, uh, uh, an organization or a government or entity or whatever and take all the data they've got up to that point and dump it into a format that can be, then be, then you can be vectorized on top of that large language, that format and create some answers? Or is there a constant process of data coming in and adding to that, that large language model? With any good AI project, it's a constant process because uh, in our industry, it's called concept drift. You need to continually refine the feedback loop so that when the user, they do use this AI model and they can give feedback on whether the answer that's suggested by this AI model is good or bad. And as you know, our industry, Corey, our industry changing so fast and uh, the world is also moving very fast. So it's, it's critical to continually interact with a model and continually tweak it, enhance it so that you can capture the concept drift. So you don't always, you know, sit in two years ago of that data state. It's, it's a continuation as you evolve your business. Um, as you probably don't know, but I just sold the business podcast network to a group called Futurum. And one of the things I've been doing is kind of cleaning up my own data and cleaning up my, uh, my spreadsheets with all the contact information and stuff, things that I use. And I'm finding it's a mess and it's taking enormous amounts of time <laughs> to just get rid of duplicates and yes. make sure things are spelled right and, and add stock tickers where there are names or names where there are stock tickers. And I'm using as many tools as I can, but it's it's a it's a very manual, um, laborious process. Mm -hmm. And from what I've read about your company, that at least used to be what a lot of your work was, very uh, hands-on. Mm -hmm. So we have tools and products that does uh, what we call data analytic services. We understand a lot of the legacy enterprise systems, right? Whether it's FileNet, Documentum, Notes, uh, your Outlook, Exchange, right? Um, so we can actually sift through those things and do data analytics and do taxonomy uh, discovery. And then from there, we can also do what, what's called uh, get rid of the out of date, trivial, redundant data, the ROT, um, so that you, you, you have. Uh, it's, you know, it's not the CRAP. OK, but go on. <laughs> the ROT, sure, redundant data, why not? Yeah, 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 redundant, out of date, trivial data. So then, you know, you have a, a, a better, you know, cleaner data and also uh, their property tag. A very important thing aspect of it is the privilege, uh, access privileges. Uh, what you have is you don't want to all of a sudden have somebody come in and say, hey, I want to know what my boss's salary is, right? When you're not privy to that type of information. So that means access right management, um, the, the provision and privilege to access data, it's critical. And you know, nowadays people are updating their LinkedIn profile much faster than HR can update their job description internally. And that creates a problem, right? So it's this dynamic changes that's happening in the enterprise that people, enterprises do need software to automate, to keep up so that they can actually, when you use AI, um, you can only see things that you're supposed to see. Yeah, and I think that there's a, a general presumption. Uh, one of my new colleagues, uh, Krista Maycomber, um, has written about this a lot, that there's this, this presumption that when uh, data is on the cloud, if you're using Microsoft 365 or something, it's safe, it's secured, it's accessible. And sometimes none of those things are true, that, that there has to be extra work, extra layers of not just data understanding, which, which you guys do, but also data security, uh, which you guys are involved in as well. So security is a very complex and ever evolving topic. Uh, what we see is 
the the our expression is is a multi layer approach, right? Um, so you we we cover the inner courtyards. If you use the hackers as barbarians storming the castle analogy, you have the castle right. on the hill and castle walls, and those brick and mortar walls are what you typically associate with security vendors. The uh, you know the malwares, the firewalls, right? The the peripheral right. intrusion endpoint protection detection uh, software companies. Whereas we are more at the in, intersanctum of the uh, you know um, kind of the castle where we say, hey, who has access to this thing? And when someone else uh, that should not have access to it should be redacted. And so that kind of uh, dynamic control over access is what we do. We also at the same time though we do have uh, AI ca capability to detect if you're under a ransomware attack. So that has a very unique signature. So because we are in the uh, part of our solution is a uh, cloud data backup as a service, we can actually restore your data state to prior to a ransomware attack. So before all the data are encrypted, right? Um, so that so yeah. you can sort of take go back in time and 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 that's right and recover all the company's data before it got to lock. You can up. do point in time recovery selectively or the whole platform. So that flexibility is critical uh, to to customers. So when people think about like you mentioned, right? Oh, my stuff is in cloud; it's safe. Um, they think about high availability. You know, if something if a power outage knocked down the East Coast data centers for whether it's Amazon or Microsoft or Google, their West Coast data centers should take over. Yes, that's true, but that's only fail over a resiliency. But that doesn't protect you from data loss and or data encryption or uh, you know ransomware and malware attacks, right? So that data corruption. So from that perspective, you do need a good copy some point in the past to be able to recover to. Um, Krista uh, Makemore has also written, and she did this fantastic study of uh, talking to uh, lots and lots of hundreds of companies, I think, um, about what they're doing with cloud hosted uh, information found that 80% of them are protecting at least one cloud hosted workload, but it may be worried about the other 20% who yes. aren't protecting at yes. least one who are just sort of leaving their stuff out somewhere, hoping it's good and the right people are at it. I tell you, Corey, I mean, cloud is just another operating environment, right? So really it's the same pains that enterprise and businesses uh, faced before cloud ever came about are still there. They just, reincarnated into different form factors. And we actually back up all cloud workload assets uh, under the entire umbrella of M365, so Microsoft 365, so that's Office 365, that's also include Azure and Dynamics 365. Uh, we also now start to branch out and cover uh, Salesforce, uh, Google, uh, and then very soon uh, AWS, uh, Azure, uh, Amazon. So yeah, it, it's to your point, you know, you need to make sure that uh, the critical component of your data asset, these states, as well as applications are covered. So you don't just only focus on one workload. So I'm, I'm old and I'm an old time tech analyst and, 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 and uh, journalist. And I heard you say something briefly once about the, the long-term trend or long-term uh, um, trend that where technology companies are going in and out of centralization and decentralization, centralization yeah. and decentralization. And you suggested that the cloud is actually a centralization of information. And I hadn't really thought of it that way. Uh, maybe you could elaborate on that. Yeah. Oh, wow. You, you do uh, do your research. I'm super impressed, Corey. Um, <laughs> so yeah. In the, making in, up for the homework <laughs> I didn't do when I was young. <laughs> in the 70s, right, you're talking about mainframes. That's really true centralization. And then with the uh, advent of PC revolution, 
people are now talking about decentralized. A lot of data is actually stored in local PCs. Of course, with data centers and now with cloud, it's really going the other way, right? There's a aggregation of data. This is what we do. Uh, a lot of uh, what we do is help businesses migrate and centralize data from different sources into cloud and have the ability to manage all of that. Even if it's multi-cloud, it is in a way centralized. So of course you have uh, endpoints where t people talk about IoT, right? Internet of Things and endpoint uh, modeling. So uh, for, for real-time use cases like autonomous driving, you do need endpoint model and endpoint collection. But ultimately all of that data is feeding back to the central uh, cloud repository for more advanced and bigger algorithmic uh, work that happens there. So yeah, we're now back in the centralized model where you know so everything is a pipe into that cloud. And and here you are, twenty three years ago, right at the dot com collapse, starting this company uh, with your uh, history of studying machine learning. I mean, you, you, you know, you Monday morning quarterback if you want, but did you see this motion, this moment of generative AI suddenly getting people excited? about uh, machine learning? No, so this is actually, um, you know, AI and machine learning has been around for a long time, right. uh, at least 70 plus years. There were three uh, winters <laughs> of AI. So hype and depression cycles. Yeah. This, this could be the fourth, we don't know. <laughs> but I think with transformer architecture, at least uh, people are really finding good uses of it. Of course, um, you know, as much as we leverage Gen AI, to do ideation, to do content creation, uh, we do find that the you, know, you do need to spend the time to actually ensure the output is good, right? Because there's actually a lot more hallucination than people realize. So, yeah, it's really uh, because amazing. it's all statistics, I mean, it, right? It's not actual reasoning. It's all probabilistic of every word appearing after previous words. So this is why the whole prompting become an art. You know, the saying is that a prompt is not a good prompt for ChatGPT unless it's 400 words long. And this is also why you see with the latest release of ChatGPT, they're coming up with these, you know, prompt optimizers, right? So then, you know, they know people uh, need help in this regard. But yeah, no, we, we of course, nobody uh, foresaw uh, the advent of uh, Gen AI to make life easier. We know that as technologists, things are going forward and improving. Um, but yeah, this is definitely a, a different uh, paradigm that we, we are in today. But back then, obviously, we... We do work on data. We we solve enterprise problems, help you know customer land that last mile issues, uh, leveraging Microsoft Stack. So our mission never changed. Our mission has always been focused around data governance, data management, data trust, and data estate. So now, of course, in the Gen AI paradigm, that's even more important than ever before. Primarily, um, historically, our customer base are regulated industries, so governments, banks, and law firms and manufacturing that really care about data because of the regulations. But now, of course, with Gen right. AI push, everybody cares because if you want to have good modeling, you need to have good data, uh, you know, quality and parity. So I think now we are, our appeal is a lot more horizontal than before. So let me go from the multi-decade look to the, the, the short-term look here. You know, at the end of last year, at the end of 2022, you guys talked about really a, 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 a noticeable slowdown in, in the time it took deals to close. And, you know, we were seeing the first of, of, of what proved to be a lot of tech layoffs and concerns that we were going into a recession that has yet to appear. Um, and who knows if it will or not. But I wonder what you're seeing now. What's, what's tech spending like now? I think the conservatism is still there. Uh, I actually got this question yesterday from uh, analysts who say, hey, 
with uh, Microsoft Copilot 365 Copilot, right? Which is uh, their iteration of, um, their of AI. OpenAI, yeah, yeah. Uh, front end, um, th costing $30 per user per month, which is doubling customer spend on uh, Office 365. Does that take away budget from AppPoint? For us, no, because we're actually then become critical and we are a platform provider, but we do see the opportunity then consolidate spend and you know uh, removing the point solution providers within customer environments. So overall, um, uh, the the mood, the tenor of uh, the, the industry is still one of uh, this is 2023 and 2024. It's going to be a year of optimization and efficiency. People are looking at ways to save cost. We are in a high interest environment, Corey and. I think the saying goes that in the next six months, you will see a lot of company that don't have good financials, that don't have good cash flow, are going to be up for fire sale. So there is going to be industry consolidation. Uh, the fact is, you see the real estate uh, environment, right? Corporate real estate, nobody's come back to office. In Manhattan, they're selling buildings, you know, for less than the cost of the land it sits on. So they are softness in the economy. So businesses in general are continue to be conservative. This is why yesterday's earnings, we talk about, hey, we don't see things getting worse, but that conservatism is still there. TJ Jung is the CEO of AvPoint. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Corey. Pleasure to be here. Coming up next on The Drill Down, we've got The Bite, one number that tells us a whole lot more about AvPoint right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And also, you can get 20% off if you use our link, Braintrust.com slash Drill Down. And we're back with the Drill Down Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about AvPoint in this case. Really enjoyed that conversation, Ben. Um, you know, when I, consulting with some of my Futurum colleagues about the opportunities here, uh, one of my, uh, the analysts I work with, uh, Krista Makomer, came with a really interesting survey. She surveyed a whole bunch of companies about what they're doing about security uh, in the cloud. And she found that, uh, well, she put it in the positive way, 80%, but the opposite of 80% is a 20%. So here's your number, 20%. One out of five, 20% of companies are not protecting a single workload hosted on public clouds, uh, public clouds like Microsoft 360 or Azure or wherever, Google Cloud. Um, it's according to a poll that uh, Krista Makomer did. And now AvPoint, of course, hopes to mitigate that with data management tools. But it is interesting that, that users just kind of think if it's on the cloud, it's protected on the cloud and we'll have access to it on the cloud. And that is not always the case. All right, well, thank you for listening to The Drill Down. Futurum's The Drill Down uh, brought to us here. I'm Corey Johnson, uh, and thanks to Ben Wilson, of course, my fabulous co-host, and importantly, our editor extraordinaire. Futurum's The Drill Down is a production of Futurum's Business Podcast Network.